Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, producer Matt here. Before we start this week's show, I just want to have a quick word with you. Yes, that's right. Uh, We need to talk about your performance. You see, we've been singing the praises of Riverside for a month now. They support this show financially, and also we use their brilliant recording platform to make this show. You might say it's the perfect brand alignment. And as seasoned media professionals, I'm sure you've noticed the HD quality audio and video we've been working with and how reliable it is. There's backups for the worst case scenarios and a friendly team to help support you. But I digress because I'm disappointed in you, dear listeners. You've not been fulfilling your end of the bargain. We've given you a code, MediaPod to use at the checkout when purchasing a monthly pass, or in fact, any pass. It gives you money off and tells the good people at Riverside that you value this aforementioned brand alignment. But have you done this in great numbers? You have not. And that makes me sad. So, I'll ask you for what could be the penultimate time. Go to riverside.fm and use the code MEDIAPOD to get $15 off any subscription. Support this brand alignment now. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, it's RIP to the ITV Hub. We'll discuss what it means for ITV's streaming strategy and joint venture BritBox. The latest data from Ipsos Iris has been released, profiling UK news providers. We discover who's leading the pack. Also on the programme, co-founder of Need to Know, Warren Nettleford, shares the relaunch of the platform and their award-winning formula for making engaging news for teens. And in the media quiz, we discover what properties are being cut and commissioned this week. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. This week, as refugees flee Ukraine, journalists, YouTubers and Sean Penn are entering the war zone to cover the unfolding events. Uh, Alongside fighting on the ground, an information war is playing out with Russian reporters and even editors on Wikipedia under pressure to describe the war as a military operation. Uh, Globally, a digital storm is raging with RT being pulled from Foxtel and Sky platforms. Uh, And from the BBC to Netflix joining a cultural boycott in response to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. 
And in other news, the acclaimed TV documentary maker Roger Grafe has passed on aged 85. Uh, the award-winning producer had a huge impact in the UK, delivering hard-hitting documentaries on the police and courts. He'll also be warmly remembered for producing the first ever comic relief. And with me to unravel some more of the media stories this week is Charlotte Tobit, UK editor of the Press Gazette. Uh, welcome, Charlotte. The FT has hit a million paying digital subscribers. Um, this isn't that long after New York Times achieved a, a similar result. Is subscription it for news now? Is that, is that where everyone's going? I mean, I think for a lot of businesses it's working, but I don't think it's for everyone. Uh, Reach, for example, this week put out their full year results and they've reached a target of 10 million registrations early. And by registrations, that that means people that have signed up with their email address, but they're not paying people. They are people that are just getting newsletters and things like that. So I think uh, for, for publishers like Reach, where they're sort of using their scale to reach people and then using that audience data in the best way possible, then no, it does, you still don't need subscriptions. But, you know, uh, everyone can't be on the same strategy. So also joining us on the show today from Australia is James Cridland, editor of Pod News. Um, James, news that Twitter could be adding podcasts to its platform. Uh, what do we know about that? Yes, that's interesting. What do we know about that? Um, we know very little about that, I'll <laughs> tell you. We, we have literally two screen grabs, and they are screen grabs. The way that they've worked out um, how these screen grabs work is it's essentially two researchers who take a look at the code of the app and work out what Twitter might be turning on in the future. And they've found that there is um, an exciting button, uh, Mark's podcast, which is a picture of an old 1940s uh, microphone, and a tab that says podcasting in it. We know nothing more than that. Now, it could be uh, a full podcast app inside Twitter, which would be very exciting. And maybe it would surface the podcasts that um, is from people who you follow. Or it could be reheated Twitter Spaces conversations, uh, and that might be slightly less exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, Twitter have said absolutely nothing, and the only thing that we know is uh, a little a little picture of an old-fashioned microphone and the word podcast next to it. Uh, Twitter would be a pretty good podcast app, wouldn't it? Yeah, bring together what your friends um, maybe consume, and it's an app that uh, a, a lot of people, if you use it, have it have it kind of open all day. Yeah, I think Twitter would be a fantastic podcast app. And one of the benefits, of course, on of uh, Twitter for those people who use it, and of course, n not everybody uses it, but for those people who use it, it's got this really deep social graph. It understands what you're into. It understands what type of content that you uh, interact with. And so therefore, being able to surface podcasts in there as well makes a bunch of sense. They did um, buy the team behind Breaker, which was a very good podcast app last year. So they've clearly got the chops and the understanding of uh, how podcasting works. Um, so fascinating to watch what happens there. Uh, and obviously the big podcast story is that uh, entries are open now for the British Podcast Awards, which uh, if you have a podcast, you should enter at BritishPodcastAwards.com. Right, plug over. Uh, a story that's uh, been of much speculation. Um, ITV has bought out the BBC's share of BritBox UK. Um, that's ahead of the launch of its new streaming service, ITVX. It seems to be a sort of slightly minor point on them going big on, on their new streaming service. Um, but that relationship's an interesting one to explore. Um, what does this buyout uh, mean for, for BritBox? 
James. This buyout is interesting. BritBox is available, obviously, in the UK, but is also available in other countries. We have BritBox here in the uh, here in Australia. I haven't tried using it, um, and BritBox is also available in the US. I think one of the problems in terms of BritBox overseas, certainly, is that many of the other broadcasters have already snapped up the best bits of. The BBC's output and indeed of ITV's output. So therefore, it's not available on BritBox, it's available on other things. It's available through Foxtel, it's available through um, Stan or through Binge or the various uh, individual services which are available here. Um, and so from that point of view, BritBox is a weird sort of mix of basically quite old stuff that uh, some people like, and that's kind of it. Um, I think in the UK, though, it's a very different uh, conversation. And I think, you know, ITV is clearly focusing much more now on its own uh, plan moving uh, forward, um, getting rid of the ITV hub and moving into ITVX. Do you think this this deal to sort of uh, edge the BBC's ownership out of BritBox in the UK, it still is co-owned with ITV overseas. Do you think that's led by the BBC or do you think that's led by ITV? Who asked who to, to get out, do you think? Um, I, I think it's interesting. I think if you look um, a little bit wider at what the BBC have been doing, 15 years ago, they were all about working together with the commercial industry. They had Project Kangaroo, or they tried to get Project Kangaroo. Uh, they uh, successfully launched Radio Player, which is uh, all of UK radio in one place. UView, of course, was a fantastic service, which the BBC was very much involved with, and other things as well. Now you get the um, you know, you get the uh, the idea that what the BBC is keen about now is building their own properties and not working together with other people. So it's the iPlayer or nothing. It's BBC Sounds. Uh, that's basically where things are going and they're pulling off open podcasts and everything else. So I think my view is that the BBC has changed its strategy um, long, you know, its its main strategy and is very much focusing now on not necessarily fighting against the Spotify's of this world and the YouTube's of this world, but doubling down on what the BBC brand is, which of course is massive in the UK and being fair, not that big anywhere else. Uh, Charlotte, ITV shares fell 14% on Thursday off the back of the news of ITVX. What does that tell you about kind of interest in their their streaming strategy? I wonder if it's not about their particular strategy so much as everyone's like, really, we need another streaming service. Because um, I mean, as we as been discussed on here, loads I know. You know, there are so many. There's only so so many that every person's going to get. Um, however, what I think actually sounds good about ITVX is the fact that there will still be this massive free component. Um, so it kind of sounds like a lot of it will be a better ITV hub, which we know that people will like because people hate ITV hub. You only have to look at like Twitter during the Euros last year when people were moaning. So you've got the subscription portion, which basically means no advertising, which lots of people, if they can afford it, will want to plump up for, and also the BritBox stuff. So I do think it's an interesting um, way that they're trying it. They've obviously realised that with everything else going on in the streaming and broadcast landscape, they need a better proposition themselves. But yeah, I do wonder if it's if if the shares drop was more about just oh god, are they sure? Like, do we really need this? But 
I don't know. I'm, I feel kind of okay about it. I mean, if you look to, to America, lots of people, are, uh, lots of companies are doubling down on their streaming services, uh, be it you know, Paramount, um, you know, traditional broadcasters. So, um, you know, CBS into Paramount with their, their own service or NBC with Peacock. James, in Australia, it's kind of slightly different and, and they've got a they've got a, a route around um, genres, haven't they, with the streaming services? Yeah, I mean, you know, Australia is interesting in that Foxtel, which is a large Murdoch company, um, really uh, is is the market leader in terms of uh, streaming. What they've done very cleverly is that they have taken the rights that they have from their satellite television service, so very similar to uh, Sky in the UK. They've taken the rights that they have for that and piled all of those shows into a product that they call Binge as a um, as a streaming service. Binge is fascinating because if you go diving into the uh, menus far enough, then you'll actually find some live TV channels in there. Um, there's no EPG. There's no understanding of what might be on these particular channels, but they're all hidden away in there. And the reason why they're hidden away in there is that that then gives them the rights to take all of the shows from these services and make them available on demand as well. So it's a very clever plan. And then you have uh, additional uh, streaming services from all of the big commercial networks. So the three big commercial networks, the two public service broadcasters, um, uh, and and a couple of other things, uh, you know, in there as well. Uh, so it's a really uh, interesting market for only 24 million people, um, and fascinating to see just the breadth of, um, of content which is available. In other news, the BBC are holding strong in the newsroom. The latest data from Ipsos Irish shows that the BBC reached 38.7 million people, that's 78% reach, in January this year, with audiences spending 9.1 billion minutes on its sites and apps. Uh, We know the BBC does well here, but one of the surprising contenders, uh, and you've sort of mentioned it already, Charlotte, is um, the reach-owned titles um, populating kind of the top half of the list, um, MEN, Manchester Evening News, um, the leading local news title um i mean reach becoming you know someone with a large amount of reach is um is obviously very successful for them are they the contender on the block to to watch i mean definitely whenever we've done uh, recently lists of the fastest growing sites in the uk that is always dominated by the reach local sites just loads and loads of them all just growing so quickly um and it's also worth noting from a different um Ipsos story that uh, we've done a couple of weeks ago uh, about not just individual news brands, but about uh, sort of the overall uh, online companies. Um, Reach and BBC are, you know, when when you're combining all of the Reach properties, they are actually tussling for the top spot now after a long time with the BBC being, you know, by far the biggest news organisation in the country. So Reach is really growing so quickly, holding its own. And now, yeah, it's just about how it monetizes that scale. I mentioned earlier that their results came out this week. And what's interesting is that although they their shares also plunged this week um, because of uh, a warning they gave about profits for the upcoming year, uh, most uh, to do with print uh, and, you know, the same old energy costs and inflation that everyone's worried about at the moment. But in digital, they're doing really well um, and they're, they're basically saying uh, for the first time or in particular uh, like hasn't happened quite yet uh, digital is really offsetting that print decline and even though digital still only a quarter of overall revenues I think it was so 
if that continues to grow, then obviously they're very much going in, in a good direction. Is that because they've just got lots and lots of titles, and obviously it's all the, the local titles as well, and probably a, a pretty strong SEO focus? Is, is that what's um, driving their, their volume of success? I think they are good at SEO, yes. Um, I think they're also good at social. Um, did a story of, uh, a couple of months ago, I think, about the how the national titles in particular have sort of changed their social strategy. They've actually grown their team, and they're basically saying, you know, actually, if you invest in... Uh, your team then it's worthwhile and obviously the big innovation for reach is about one million pop-ups on every page they do they do like filling their their pages <laughs> with uh, lots of extra information don't they charlotte is that do you think that's a problem for for kind of grow, growing growing their audiences or actually are people used to it now it's hard it's hard to know isn't it um because i feel like among journalist circles we all sort of have the sites that we know that you're going to see more pop-ups and the sites that are easier to read but what what are you know quote unquote normal people thinking about their everyday news sites um that's probably something we should find out but yeah i i would suggest that's the biggest risk of the advertising model and it but yeah as i say they're clearly they're still growing for now so it's obviously not an immediate problem the one thing I, I've, I've noticed in the um, Ipsos Iris uh, data is that actually what we're seeing here is we're seeing it all internet traffic. So the BBC's number, 38 million, is everything that the BBC is doing. That includes iPlayer and CBeebies and the Radio 2 website. It's not just the BBC news website. And actually, once you look at the entire traffic across Reach, for example, Reach is bigger than the BBC. Reach is reaching 39 million people, the BBC only 38.7. However, people on Reach websites are spending far less time. They're spending 43 minutes versus the BBC's almost four hours. Uh, so interesting to look at that. The other thing I noticed from this uh, data is that uh, Future is doing really well. And Future is actually doing better than The Guardian's website. And one of the um, things that I think everybody assumes is the future of the internet is that magazines and that sort of magazine information is going to go away because why on earth would you um, look at uh, individual magazines like that? But Future has a lot of different magazines and is doing fantastically well, according to some of this, uh, this uh, information. So... Um, perhaps there is a future for some quite uh, carefully targeted niche um, titles that uh, Future puts together. And Future have obviously been building up quite a lot of scale recently, um, acquiring some of the Dennis publications that we, we talked about in a, in, in a previous week as well. Charlotte, are they a bit of a sleeping giant? Yeah, I think pretty much every conversation I have with anyone, whether it's uh, like the Press Gazette team or elsewhere, if we're talking about... Uh, like strategies and who's doing well in general and at least certain things, Future's name always comes up. I think they're doing amazingly well. Um, as you say, they've built up scale, but they've also figured out how to use it. So they're not just got size for the sake of it. They're, they've got good strategies around, for example, e-commerce and their audience data. I definitely think they're one to watch if you're not watching them already. And James, looking at kind of Australian news strategies, uh, there was a big furore last year with um, uh, Google and, and Facebook having to, to to pay your news providers to to have content on on their platforms. Has that all has that all calmed down? 
Yes, it's all calmed down because Google and Facebook both got their checkbooks out without having to wait for the government to tell them to do that. Um, I mean, if you ask my own personal opinion, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but uh, the difficulty, of course, because Google and Facebook jumped in and said, uh, oh, it's okay, we'll pay you some money, is they've done it on their terms rather than on, on the government's terms, which means that Murdoch is very happy um, because Murdoch has a deal. You know, the seven uh, media group has a deal, uh, the ABC and SBS has a deal, and virtually nobody else does. So if you're one of the smaller publishers, if you're the Saturday paper, for example, or um, you're a small regional news provider, then you've got nothing out of that particular deal. And so the government um, doing their sabre rattling hasn't actually helped particularly much. Um, the concern, of course, is that people in other countries, and particularly Canada, have looked at what's happened in Australia. Australia and gone, oh, brilliant. Uh, we can get money for our news uh, organizations by threatening Google and threatening Facebook as well. And so uh, I suspect that we'll see more of those uh, to come. If they're going to do that, my, my advice as somebody that watched it happen here is to go through with the actual law rather than just to sit there and um, and force uh, Google and Facebook to, you know, to, to end up doing their own thing, because I don't think that's particularly helpful. I mean, just quickly, Charlotte, Nadine Dorries here said that um, she's up for an Australia plus, plus, plus um, plan to, to, to roll that same sort of idea um, in, in the UK. Um, do you think that is on the cards? I mean, yeah, ideally, there does seem to be the appetite for it from publishers here and... My colleague Will Turnbull did a story a couple of weeks ago where he spoke to some sources on Fleet Street or, you know, what we know, still know as Fleet Street. And yeah, mm. they seem pretty confident that this is going to happen. None of this uh, type of legislation seems to happen very quickly, um, but obviously there is appetite for it to happen quickly. So it just depends on how much pressure is put on the government, I suppose. Okay, moving on. Uh, Need to Know is a new news service aiming to make current affairs as trendy as the Kardashians. Uh, After covering the 2019 UK general election for young people, they bagged a Royal Television Society Award for Journalism. Now Need to Know is back, relaunching as a digital network, with their first episodes going out on YouTube this week. I spoke to co-founder and former Channel 5 news presenter Warren Nettleford to learn about the startup's plans. I mean, we had a really clear plan in terms of which episodes we were releasing in which week and, and tying it into the what we thought the media agenda would be. And then President Putin decides to invade Ukraine, which obviously is now the only story in town. Now, thankfully, due to the experience we've got on the team, we do have contacts and we've found a really good story, which we're putting out as a special this week about a young... A young uh, woman from London called Sasha who had to go and rescue her mum from a Ukrainian refugee camp. You know, Saturday night, cocktails in Soho. Sunday night, she's flying to Romania to go and get her before driving in the middle of the night to, you know, the refugee camp. It's an incredible story. But there are budgetary implications because (laughs) we plan to do things very differently. I think it's just a case of us having to suck it up, be nimble, we're debating right now about going into our own pockets again and um, to make it work because we really do believe in the project and I'm just hoping that it comes off I think it will um, and in some ways it just shows you the importance of 
planning for the unexpected. Now, of course, we did leave some money in the budget for, you know, things that could go wrong. And this is a time that we're starting to use it. Also, I guess for, for digital projects, you never quite know which episodes capture people's imagination and kind of bring them more regularly into the material, you know, generating those subscribers. So I guess sort of there's lots of potential opportunities that, that, that bring people in. And I guess this is one of those as well. Yeah, well, I'll just run you through, actually, the different episodes we've got in the series at the moment. So um, we've got out now the first of our two episodes in the Royal Family. Should we wave goodbye to them? We've done lots of opinion polling, working with um, Delta Poll to ask young people their views. And it's been really interesting to see the the different viewpoints of people who are over 30 compared to under 30s uh, when it comes to the royal family. Should they apologise for their colonial past? Then we've done an episode on cannabis. Is it time to legalise it or not? We've done um, something on fake news, which I think is really pertinent quite now. We've got a fantastic interview with the editor of the BBC Disinformation Unit, Rebecca mm. Skippage who talks through what they do um, to tackle fake news and how they work, um, which I think people are going to be really interested in right now, especially as fake news is beginning to take over on social media and misinformation or disinformation, I should say. We're doing an episode on influencers. Are they out of control? Do tech companies need to do more? Is there a need for greater regulation? Is it time to abolish private schools? We've asked that question. Should London divorce the UK? We've asked that question too. So these are like really big topics but with news lines attached to them as well Mm. and now of course we've got Ukraine too so these are just some of the episodes in the series. Young people and the news I mean obviously it's that sort of instant view oh young people aren't interested in the news which I think we all probably know is rubbish and and not not true Mm. at all. Obviously there is kind of youth media whether it's on the younger end news round or even like the rundown for ITV they do a sort of Instagram stories bulletin daily. Do you think there's a gap with what's reaching audiences it's interesting because um yeah you mentioned the rundown and news round and you know i grew up on a diet of news round in many ways it's why i got involved and wanted to become a journalist because you know i'd see krishnan and guru murthy presenting the show and and then matthew price ellie Crusell later on and i thought to myself wow you know journalism can be fun it's really interesting revealing what's happening in the world so news round's got a lot to answer for when it comes to my own career but i think what's happened is because those institutions I'll call them that you know the BBC ITN where they're focused on is still television and I don't think they've properly grasped the new grammar or tried to develop their own new grammar when it comes to um, news for for younger viewers on these social platforms so it's not about being patronizing um, when you're speaking um, to young people talking down to them it's about just clearly explaining but understanding that the way that someone interacts with Um, news content on their phone or on YouTube or on Instagram or TikTok is going to be different. There's a different feeling when you're on TikTok and there's a different expectation as to what you're going to get. So, for instance, I'll never expect like a a 25-part documentary on TikTok about what's happening in, you know, Syria or Ukraine or anywhere like that. It, It just wouldn't work in the same kind of format. You've got to be able to understand what works and how it works and then alter accordingly. But for us, the big thing which we're focused on is is being impartial and balanced. And we've made the decision to follow the Ofcom Broadcasting Code, even though there's no obligation for us to do that. Mm. The Reuters Institute, their latest uh, research showed that young people rate um, the news broadcasters on television as being very accurate, but they're not engaging with them. So we thought, right, okay, they think accuracy and impartiality and balance is important, but 
how about we transfer that to the digital space and then create a format which fits in with that digital space too. So I think that's why we had that success initially. And now it's about starting again on YouTube and doing that and building an audience. That was Warren Nettleford. You can catch the latest Need to Know episodes, as Warren said, at ntk.network. If you're a regular to the media podcast and are excited when a new episode appears in your podcast app, perhaps that's a sign to start supporting us on Patreon. Uh, We like to pay producers who work on the show and organise our interviews and guests. And whilst there is income from partners like Riverside and some of the adverts that you're about to hear, the best way for us to build regular income is from Patreon subscribers. Um, You told us that you wanted the show to be weekly. So for us to keep it coming, we do very politely ask for your support if you can afford it. Just head over to patreon.com slash mediapod and as a supporter you'll get longer form interviews with our guests just like Warren Nettleford Uh, and when you support us you can also unlock all the older ones as well Uh, so to do that just head over to patreon.com slash mediapod and we'll be back with more media news and of course our weekly quiz after this cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back. Charlotte and James are still with me and it's time for some media news in brief. Uh, This week we saw Peter Crouch jump ship from the BBC to Acast. Uh, This is for his podcast. Um, James, is this just an inevitable trend with uh, independent companies being able to offer a better podcasting deal or is there something else going on here? I mean, I think there's certainly more creative freedom if you're working for an independent company than if you're working for a large corporation with 23,000 people who work in there. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure that there's something around that. This, though, is a little bit strange because this isn't just Peter Crouch leaving. This is the entire BBC show, complete with the artwork um, and I believe the podcast feed as well. Um, Peter Crouch's new production company, which is called Tall or Nothing, has hired... Uh, the BBC producer, George Cottam, that puts that show together. Uh, Chris Stark, who's uh, on Radio 1, will still be part of that show as well, although they've lost Tom Fordyce, as I understand it. But it's a very strange one to me. You know, BBC Five Live started that show in 2018, and it's had more than 60 million downloads. 
the BBC have invested a lot in in it, and they've basically wrapped it up as a little parcel, as all of their intellectual, uh, you know, property, and given it to Peter Crouch to go and make some money on the commercial market. It's a it's a strange one from my point of view, and I wonder whether or not uh, the secret is if you're doing a show for the BBC, try and get your name into the show's title, because otherwise the IP is completely worthless. It's interesting what you said there about the feed, and this is getting a bit technical, but um, if you're a subscriber to the BBC show, will you get automatically moved across to the to the new Acast-driven one? Generally, when these sorts of things have happened, the old provider has kind of kept the subscribers and you've had to sort of start from scratch. Are you saying that they're going to take their, their BBC subscribers with them? I think my understanding is it's the same show. It's the show as you've known and loved it, um, and it will continue. And of course, the BBC's podcast infrastructure is actually done by Acast outside of the UK, certainly anyway. So it's uh, relatively easy, I think, for Acast to end up uh, doing this. But my understanding is, yeah, I mean, it's the same show, the the same artwork, the same everything, you, you know, and that is now available to a commercial company. Acast haven't paid for any IP. Uh, because essentially Acast are talking directly to uh, Peter Crouch's new production company. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a strange one. It, it, you know, it has been a question in the past about who owns the IP for things. If you remember back um, a couple of years ago, Brittany Luz and Eric Eddings, who did a show in the US called The Nod, which they pitched and hosted while at Gimlet, but then they wanted to do other things with, and Gimlet turned around and said no, Um And so therefore, you know, they were a little bit stuck there. I think these sorts of IP conversations are going on all the time, particularly with um, independent production companies. And it's interesting seeing this as being a real outlier in terms of being able to, to essentially take a show and give it to a commercial company. Isn't this the problem, though, with talent podcasts? Like, If your name is in the title, if the show is basically about you, um, whoever the producer, whoever the um, platform is, um, no matter what the deal is, you can never really own the IP of an individual, can you? No, I think there's certainly something in that. And I'm sure that we can have a look back into the 1970s before any of us were born and uh, <laughs> point to Morecambe and Wise as being a, a, a great example of that. Uh, Charlotte, um, even by the BBC standards, um, and we've talked about it on the show, there's been a lot of movement uh, between the BBC and commercial broadcasters. We talked about Sopel and Maitlis last week. Um, and now there's kind of two further high-profile exits. Uh, Piers Wenger, director of drama, and Rose Garnett, director of film at the BBC, is set to depart in May. Um, is this a, a BBC problem, or is it just because we're in a really hot market and if you worked at the at the big public broadcaster, you're, you're in demand by others. I mean, I do think it's definitely a hot market. I think we're coming out of the pandemic. There's rush for talent at the moment. I don't think you can deny that there's obviously something going on within the BBC. I mean, especially if those two roles are a bit different because they're not news, but especially within news, obviously, because you've had Tim Davies' impartiality drive and you've got a lot more restrictions perhaps than ever before on what, what journalists can say and tweet and... Um, I think, and then obviously the commercial broadcasters have deeper pockets, and I think all uh, a lot of that is is just happening to combine at the moment. Uh, do you think that's because the, you know, the if you work for the BBC, you've got like Daily Mail issues, um, you've got what the the BBC can do to support you or not support you, you've got issues around like your own com- opportunities to do commercial things. 
anything you say will be jumped on um, and probably you're not going to get as much money as you would elsewhere. Uh, I mean, James, you 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 went from commercial to BBC and then you were out again the other side. It was a, I know it was a decent decent time ago. Do you think this isn't really the BBC's fault? It's it's the sort of externalities that, that sit around it? Yeah, I think there's uh, certainly something to be said for just creative freedom. And, um, you know, if you end up doing uh, work for the BBC, you have, you know, as you so rightly say, all of the rules and regulations of what you can and can't say, what you can say on social media, what you can say on various other things. I mean, you only have to have a look at uh, RTE, who last week hired the two Johnnies, who are very popular uh, podcasters uh, in uh, Ireland. They put them on the radio. (laughs) They lasted two days before they tweeted something that was... um, apparently grossly offensive and they've been taken off the radio and haven't been seen since you know i think i think that uh, you know people aren't necessarily um, you know, very uh, you know, very aware of just the creatively difficult um, type of uh, atmosphere that there is in some of these large uh, organisations. And clearly, now that you have streaming services, you have um, uh, podcasts, you have all manner of different ways of getting your creative output out there without any of that interference. I think that that's uh, you know more and more interesting, um, you know, to people as they can. And see that they can earn a decent uh, wage out of it. Uh, Charlotte, I mean, Deborah Turness is going to be the new boss of, of BBC News. Um, that's some big talent coming into the organisation. Um, one, do we know any more about when we think that might be? And two, do you think actually uh, that might uh, shake up BBC News and inspire some more people to, to join it? Uh, I don't think we know any more about when it will be. I think it will still be sort of later this year because, uh, as, as I think you discussed before, there was a bit of a tussle with BBC and ITV. Is, yeah, obviously, she'd not been at ITN long. It seems that she's very popular in the industry and I think she'll actually bring a, a good breath of fresh air in, to be honest. Uh, all of which brings us to the alluring world of the media quiz. This week it's entitled Cut or Commissioned. Uh, Now, I'm going to give you three headlines where a broadcaster or a streamer has had a major change this week. Uh, You just fill in the blank. Uh, Three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So, Charlotte, you will say... Charlotte. And James, you will say... James. Let's play Cut or Commissioned. Uh, Right, number one. Uh, What long-standing television series will be saying goodbye for good? James. Uh Yes, James. Uh, neighbours. It's neighbours. Definitely neighbours. Um, uh, based down here, but of course, watched up where you are too. Uh, yes, that's right. Neighbours has been cut uh, after nearly 37 years and almost 9,000 episodes. It's been confirmed that the TV soap will cease production. Uh, R.I.P. Ramsey Street. Um, neighbours obviously is Australian through or through, James, but does anybody care that it's going down your neck of the woods? I mean, a few people have been um, slightly upset on uh, Twitter, but then a few people are slightly upset on Twitter about anything. So I don't suppose it <laughs> makes much difference. You know, it really isn't very large here. It's, um, it's on Network 10, which is the least popular commercial network here. So the third most popular. It isn't even on Channel 10 itself, but it's on a channel called 10 Peach. If you're, if you're interested, they have 10 Peach, 10 Bold and 10 Shake. 
Um, no idea. But uh, 10 Peach is the third most popular multi-channel run by Network 10. Um, and Neighbours, uh, when I looked uh, yesterday, uh, the last episode had 123,000 viewers. Now, if you get a million viewers here, you're number one. If you have a look at Home and Away, that was doing half a million, and that was the number 14 in the list of most popular TV shows. So Neighbours really isn't watched anymore. Um, it's always been watched far more in the UK. Um, the real uh, sadness, though, is that it's probably the only piece of drama that's being produced here in Australia. It, it's uh, been part of uh, training for an awful lot of people getting into TV, and so it's going to be certainly missed in terms of that but I don't think it's going to be missed I'm afraid by the audience. I hope we just find out that it was all another one of Bouncer's dreams after all um, the whole thing all 9,000 episodes. <laughs> uh, right question two uh, what part of the BBC has announced a new series of commissions this week? Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Uh, the sort of factual arts um, yeah factual entertainment some documentaries there's a new one by the people that did Once Upon a Time in Iraq, which was hugely popular and uh, really, really good. Um, they've got Scarlett Moffat, interestingly, for a show, which um, I think she's usually on ITV, so I was interested to see her pop up. But yes, um, lots of good stuff at the BBC, which um, I just thought I'd take this opportunity to mention, obviously, um, everyone's been talking this week about the BBC in, in Ukraine and um, and then uh, yesterday had Nadine Dorries in the, in the Commons some people thought she was practically shedding a tear as she said thank you to the, all the journalists including BBC that are out there and obviously the irony was that she is trying to as some people think destroy the BBC by changing the funding model uh, yes um, a point for you Charlotte a natural history and art series um, are uh, what the BBC have been investing in and as you said a new show from Scarlett Moffat also a campaign for the Queen's Jubilee um, on Nadine it's it's almost as if uh, media is quite complex and having a single myopic view on what an organisation does <laughs> maybe doesn't reflect it but that wouldn't be for me to say uh, right think? question three uh, which streaming provider will be launching a quiz to entice general knowledge lovers Charlotte uh, Netflix uh, I think this show's called Trivia Quest which um, by the way I don't know if you guys have tried the new Charlie Brooker uh, Cat Burglar which is sort of a mini version of the same thing it's like a, uh, I think it was like a 10 minute cartoon where and that was trivia as well as opposed to making a choice that was based on trivia. So um, I quite enjoyed that. I thought that was really good fun. So I actually think this could be uh, a really fun idea. Uh, they're definitely leaning into um, doing interactive things. Obviously, Bandersnatch was the first one. Uh, and as you mentioned there, the the, the same people have, have made a, a sort of Tex Avery-inspired uh, quiz show. Uh, but yeah, as you said, the brand new uh, interactive daily quiz show is going to be coming uh, to Netflix subscribers um, soon at Trivia Quest. James, do you think Netflix has found its work is that what they're they're after? Well, yes. I was I, I was wondering whether or not this was a Wordle type uh, thing. Uh, I find it really interesting. It's clearly something that Netflix has realised. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you've got some shows which Netflix has, which um, which uh, other people don't, and then you've got the rest of the catalogue, uh, which is relatively available all over the place. And so Netflix, just like Spotify and just like other services, is looking for something which is a little bit different. And if interactivity is going to be one of their 
differences. I think that's a great thing for them to be concentrating on. Uh, and that's the end of the quiz. Uh, Charlotte, you're the winner. You'll be getting that big picture of Mrs. Mangle in the post uh, from the Neighbours archive. <laughs> uh, and that's our show for today. My thanks to Charlotte Tobit and James Cridland. Uh, James, where can people find the latest pod news updates? I'm so glad you asked, uh, Matt. You'll find it on your smart speaker or at podnews.net where you can sign up for free. And Charlotte, how can people keep up with your work? Uh, just go to pressgazette.co.uk or find me on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit. Uh, if you've made it through to this point, I'd hope that you'd enjoyed it. So why not repay us with one of these things? You can give us a retweet. Super easy. Just find us at twitter.com slash the media podcast and retweet one of our messages. Or if you need to remotely record audio and video, why not take out our riverside.fm trial and use the code MEDIAPOD. And finally, why not be part of the bedrock that helps us grow by becoming a patron of the show just sign up at patreon.com slash media pod and if you listen for the first time or you listen by searching us out and hitting play every week why not press the follow or subscribe buttons in apple podcasts spotify or google podcast or any other podcast app that you might use um, that way you get new episodes as soon as they drop uh, my name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan uh, with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.